it's human nature to like say no to the things that make us uncomfortable, right? That scare us. When you can break through, when you can really face what makes you uncomfortable, what makes you fearful, there's just, uh, I think of them as these treasures of the self that you discover, things that you learn about yourself and they're with you forever. I'm Jocelyn K. Gly, and this is Hurry Slowly, a podcast about pacing yourself, where I explore how you can avoid burnout, improve your productivity, and activate your creative mind, all through the simple act of slowing down. Today, I finally get to shine a light on a story that I've been wanting to bring to a larger audience for many, many years. And that's the incredible journey of Kim Chambers, a world record-breaking open water swimmer who didn't even slip into the ocean to compete for the first time until age 33. And this was just three years after she had had a terrible accident in which she almost lost her leg and was told she would probably never walk again without assistance. Undaunted, Kim found her freedom in the water and just five years later went on to become the third woman ever to complete the Ocean 7, a series of the toughest ocean water swims in the world. In this conversation, Kim and I plunge headfirst into the topic of risk-taking, getting into the nitty-gritty of what it looks like to set ambitious goals and step outside your comfort zone again and again as you push yourself to achieve them. Now, you might be thinking risk-taking seems like a rather odd topic for a show that's all about learning how to hurry slowly. But I'll ask you to reserve your judgment until the end of the show. My hypothesis is actually that risk-taking is much more of a slow-burn process than we suspect. Kim and I dig deep into the concept of calculated risk-taking in particular, the idea that true risk and the incredible accomplishments that result from it is almost always preceded by a lot of trial and error, incremental growth, and deliberate stretch goals. We also talk about Kim's curious double life, what it's like to be just a regular gal working at Adobe by day, and an elite athlete who swims through the Red Triangle, where nearly one-third of the world's shark attacks happen by night. Let's get into it. Let's start by talking about the dramatic event that unfolded about 10 years ago that ultimately led to your taking up swimming in the first place. Can you describe what happened? Yeah, so gosh, I can hardly believe it's been well, 10 years. Um, so I was, um, you know, working the corporate life. I was actually a freelancer at the time and living in San Francisco. And I look back on it and I think I was living sort of a very superficial life. And I, I often think that things happen for a reason because I was on my way to a job. I was in a hurry and um, I lost my footing on the staircase where I was living with my boyfriend at the time. Slid down the staircase um, hit my head, um, but I hit my right leg uh, with such force on this big ceramic pot at the bottom of the stairs that I had placed there. Um, I, uh, I ended up being diagnosed with acute compartment syndrome. Now, I didn't know that at the time, and um, it's a very, very serious condition. I, was, um, I have a very high pain tolerance, having been a ballerina for 15 years, and um, I didn't really realize how bad it was. My legs started swelling and um, my next memory is waking up post-surgery where they've performed what's called a fasciotomy to save my leg. And um, they're telling me I was 30 minutes from amputation and I have a 1% chance of walking unassisted again, all from falling down a staircase. (laughs) 
And that changed my life. It was something that, you know, you go downstairs all the time, but people, you know, break their necks, um, you know, can easily break their necks falling downstairs. But for me, um, I was really given two choices in my life. One was to accept that I probably would not walk unassisted again or uh, prove them wrong. And I made that decision from my hospital bed. I didn't know how I was going to do it, but um, that's what I set out to do. And uh, it was a defining moment in my life. And so then you went on to do about two years of physical therapy before you could walk with a brace. And then in 2009, you did your first swim. How did that feel? Oh, my goodness. So that was, you know, I I only learned water safety as a kid growing up in New Zealand. You know, my focus was ballet. But I just felt drawn to the water. Um, I was still walking with a limp after two years of um, physical therapy and many operations. And I was just craving a freedom. And um, that's where I found this, this, I I discovered a a sense of a freedom that I hadn't had um, for a number of years with this injury. And I just started swimming in a pool here in San Francisco, and then on a dare, uh, these guys, uh, you know, thought it'd be a good idea to swim in the bay, and I was hooked. <laughs> so it's a it's a cold stretch of water, uh, body of water, and uh, no wetsuit, and I just thought this was just magic. This was what I had been looking for. So my understanding is from all the stuff that I've read about you that when you started out as an open water swimmer, you weren't necessarily, you know, a natural from the moment that you slipped into the water, but that you had a lot of discipline. Yeah, that's absolutely correct. So uh, one of my mentors, Vito Biala, said that I couldn't swim my way out of a paper bag with flippers on. And he was absolutely correct. (laughs) So, uh, but he was one of the people that saw... um, you know, my drive and my discipline. And uh, I think that, well, I know that came from my years as a dancer. Um, you know, you sort of, you get locked into your goal and um, that's kind of how I'm wired. I didn't sort of realize it, but I now know that now after all of this. So among other world records, you have gone on to become the sixth person ever to complete the Ocean Seven. Can you describe for listeners who aren't aware what exactly that is? Yeah, so the Ocean 7 um, is seven of the toughest swims around the world, and it is considered the open water swimming equivalent of the seven summits of mountaineering. So much like climbing the highest mountains um, around the world, these are the seven toughest swims include, um, you know, the English Channel, Strait of Gibraltar, uh, the North Channel between Northern Ireland and Scotland, Um, Molokai uh, Channel in Hawaii. And so all these swims um, test a swimmer in cold water, in warm water, and uh, you face uh, many possible encounters with wildlife um, like jellyfish and great white sharks. (laughs) So how did you go from... (laughs) No big deal, just jellyfish and great white sharks. We're going to come back. We're going to come back to those later. Um, So how did you go from, you know, basically relearning how to walk to joining a local swim club to being like, I'm going to do the Ocean 7? Yeah, well, I have to say that looking back on it, I know that I didn't do any of this alone. Um, I, you know, when I joined the Dolphin Club and the South End Rowing Club, the open water swim clubs here in San Francisco, I didn't know at the time, but I had joined, you know, the top clubs in the world for open water swimming where 
someone had swum the English Channel and someone had, you know, was able to, you know, pilot you across, uh, you know, any stretch of water that you wanted to. Nobody thought, well, that's a stupid idea. Everyone sort of encouraged this madness, I guess, that I had of um, wanting to push myself in a way that I hadn't done before. And, you know, I, I just found the sense of aliveness in the water. And the more I was there, the more I wanted it. And, you know, I started off with one swim and then you, you, you look at that and you're like, well, if I did that, maybe I can do this. So it just sort of, it really became this obsession um, and sort of an addiction of really uh, of seeing how far I could push myself. And did it unfold slowly like that, though, that you were sort of like, oh, let me try, you know, I don't know, one of the Ocean 7 swims or, you know, was it just kind of like, OK, we're going to do this? You know, or did it unfold a little more slowly? I'm curious. Yeah, very slowly, actually. Um, I hadn't even heard of the Ocean 7. I'd heard of people swimming English Channel and, you know, I'd swum with a few of them and I couldn't believe it. I was like, wow, they've swum from England to France. But my swimming started off uh, pretty um, pretty slowly. I, I swam from Alcatraz um, on my 33rd birthday. That was my first time, uh, my first open water swim. And, um I, I, you know, I did it on my birthday and it was this amazing um, occasion for me because I, I remember looking back at San Francisco and I was like, wow, you know, I'm swimming to San Francisco and that's just a mile and a quarter. And um, then, you know, I just started to do more swims and joined this team called Night Train Swimmers and they were doing swims for charity and started, you know, it started to accelerate with these relay swims out to the Farallons where, you know, you rotate an hour-long shifts, you're a team of six. And then really um, I got ahead of myself. I thought, well, I was going to do a relay across the English Channel and my roommate at the time was like, well, you're over over there in England. Why don't you just do a solo as well? And I was like, that's a great idea. Well, it turned out to be a really stupid idea. <laughs> but, uh, you know, sometimes you have to put your hand on the fire to, to get burned. And I, uh, I wasn't successful in my solo swim. I was not prepared. I was trying to pull a rabbit out of a hat. But uh, I came back, you know, with my tail between my legs and vowed that I would go back and finish that swim. Um, and so I picked the first swim that really resonated with me as my first successful solo, which was a swim at home in New Zealand between the North and South Island. And uh, that happened to be one of the Ocean Seven. I didn't know that at the time. And then I did another swim in Hawaii and I was like, well, I've done two. So I've only got five more to go. Um, it was a little more difficult than that, but that was sort of my thinking. Um, so it just sort of happened um, gradually. Yeah, well, I'm really interested in exploring this sort of binary idea that we have of risk taking that like either you're a risk taker or you're not you know and we have this kind of concept that it's all about sort of making these huge brave leaps but mm -hmm. I feel like it's much more incremental a sort of daily decision to challenge yourself and it sounds like that's sort of been your experience absolutely um I, I you know I sort of started off um you know with that with the exception of trying the English channel when I wasn't ready um yeah it was very incremental um I, I don't think I, I looked at the, at the entire landscape of what I was about to pursue it just sort of happened and there's nothing more gratifying than achieving something and then looking at the next thing in line and saying well I did that maybe I can do this and seeing yourself grow um, mentally and physically along the way, incrementally, right? And then 
before you know it, you're at this point where you're looking back and you're like, I did all of that. And still to this day, you know, none of it has really sort of sunk in. Yeah, well, I think risk-taking is in many ways, right, sort of it's sort of a byproduct of confidence, and the way that you build confidence is through taking action. You sort of, as you say, like take one small step, and then you realize you can do it, and then you maybe take a bigger step, and your ability to kind of confront your fears and to take risks is kind of growing sort of little by little. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But th- that being said, like I, like I said, with the exception of, the, of that English Channel in 2011, I... Um, the risks that I have taken with these swims, and, and there is a there's there's a certain allure for me um, because open water swimming is not in a closed course. It's not a closed course. Um, you're dealing with the unknown of nature, and you can only control what you can control. But that being said, I have never attempted anything since that that um, unsuccessful English Channel swim that I haven't been fully prepared for. So while there is risk involved, um, there is a tremendous amount of preparation, um, mental and physical. Would you describe yourself as a risk taker? Yes. <laughs> yes, I think so. Um, I, think my, I think people, I, adventurous, how about that? <laughs> um, I, I think risk, to me, with, with, with swimming, um, sort of implies a carelessness, um, but I can tell you, well, I think people might argue differently, but I think that the risks that I have taken um, have been pretty um, sound risks. Obviously, um, if things went wrong, uh, it could have had detrimental um, consequences, but I, I wouldn't change what I've done. Um, knowing the risks. Well, and you're making right kind of an interesting point that, uh, you know, risk taking implies a sort of certain, I guess, carelessness. Um, But when you think about the way that people use it, um, you know, in the context of um, creativity or being an entrepreneur, you know, it's very much a sort of ideal that's kind of held up, right? So is there like, do you think that there's a better word for that, that kind of captures more what, what you think the actual um, experience is? Well, for me personally, it has it, really been this exploration um, of, of it's, it, it is, you, you are pushing boundaries. Um, I guess there's risks with anything that we do, um, but it's, it's very calculated, I guess. So, yeah, I'm trying to think of a different word, but I, uh, I, I really, you know, the the thought and the preparation and um, and also understanding what, what could go wrong. Um, you you have to understand that, and you have to be okay with that, and the people in your life have to be okay with that, and maybe that makes them just as crazy as you. <laughs> you know, uh, my mum has been. I'm on my support boat for many of my swims and people say, well, how can you have your mum there and you're swimming in, I like to say, shark inhabited waters because it's their house. Um, how can you have your mum there? But when, you know, you have these people in your lives that know that you don't want to live your life any other way and that you would do it anyways. Um, and then also to know the benefits of, of I guess, what we're calling risk taking, really. Um, I think they outweigh the risks. Well, in many ways, maybe it's, you know, stepping outside of your comfort zone is a better way of thinking about it, right? Because it is, um, 
recognizing what it is and being what it is that is what your comfort zone is and then being sort of calculated about how you're going to do that and making sure that you're actually prepared to do that. Yeah, I like that. I like that because, um, you know, it, it is definitely, you know, it's human nature to like say no to the things that um, make us uncomfortable, right? That scare us. Uh, you know, in my sport, um, there's a there's a lot of things that are pretty scary. You're cold most of the time. You're you're not comfortable. Um, but I have learned that like what what I love about all of this is that when you can break through, when you can really face what makes you uncomfortable, what makes you fearful, and you get through to the other side, um, there's just, uh, I think of them as these treasures of the self that you discover, things that you learn about yourself, and they're with you forever. Um, and it becomes intoxicating because you want to do more of that. Um, so there is also... Um, you know, you have to just sort of decide where is that boundary, right? Which is often a little difficult to discern. <laughs> yeah, well, let's let's talk about how you've done that quite literally, I guess, stepping outside of your comfort zone. Um, you're the first woman to swim from the Farallon Islands off the coast of San Francisco to the Golden Gate Bridge, which isn't, you know, super long swim compared to some of the ones that you've done. It's about 30 miles, but it does mean that you swam through the Red Triangle, which is where 40% of the world's shark attacks happen. How yes. afraid were you going into that swim? I mean, I, I was very afraid, but um, what I was honestly most afraid of was was not the sharks. Um, despite uh, an increased um, there'd been increased activity at the islands. Uh, so I've been working very closely with the scientists there. It's a marine sanctuary and, you know, they tag um, a lot of the wildlife out there. But there had been a predation on a seal um, that morning of my swim, in fact. Um, so I was I was very concerned about that. But I was so um, I'd made my swim public um, as I wanted to because I love sharing these adventures with people that hopefully they can try something they didn't think they could do. It doesn't mean they have to jump in um, the waters of the Farallons at 11.15 at night like I did. But what I was honestly most afraid of was failure. And that's a very loaded word. And um, I I've since have reframed that in my mind with a, a swim since then. But I, w I was really concerned that, you know, because I took the boat um, 30 miles out to the islands and that was where I was going to, that's where I started. And it was about a two and a half hour boat ride. And I was, um, lying down on the boat, uh, just had my headphones on and I was thinking, what if, what if I get out to those islands and I can't jump in that water? I mean, it's inky black, uh, scary water for, for anyone, you know, and it's 1115 at night. Um, I didn't know if I was going to be quite literally jumping into the mouth of a great white shark when I slipped off that boat. Um, no big deal. Yeah, but the, the weird thing is, and, and I still try to process in my mind, is like nobody was forcing me to do this. But I, I, wanted, to, I wanted to experience this because I knew the, the, the rewards for myself, not like monetary or... Um, you know, notoriety or anything like that, but more of these, just these treasures in yourself when you really push through that fear. And so I wasn't not going to do it, but there was this part of me that was like, well, what if, what if I can't do it? And, you know, everyone was watching. And, uh, so that was what I was most afraid of, but, um, the sharks were definitely, um, a factor. <laughs> 
<laughs> just sort of a back a background concern. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I actually had this really funny moment. I mean, you know, everyone's just like pumped up on adrenaline. It's just surging through your body. Everyone's just so focused on just getting me in the water, and you just got to start the swim. And I was just sitting, waiting uh, for just to gather my thoughts. And my mum, you know, she sort of popped her head over and she's like, well, hurry up then, get in the water. And I was like, mum, I'm having a moment here. I'm about to get in the water here and I don't know what's going to happen. Um, so it was just, you know, there's so much emotion and I think most of us just wanted to get it over and done with. <laughs> I, I now want to hang out with your mother. She sounds amazing. <laughs> We're going to pause now to thank our sponsors, but keep listening, because after the break, Kim and I get into what it feels like to confront your deepest fears, how accountability can help, and the rewards that await you on the other side of risk-taking. Plus, Kim lets us in on some jokes about sharks from the strange world of marathon swimming. This episode is brought to you by SaneBox. People who know me well know that I am passionate about email. Or rather, I am passionate about how much I despise email as a workplace distraction, one that eats up great gobs of our attention, which could be better spent on more meaningful work. So the question is, what would you do if you got that time and attention back? What would you do with two more hours each week? What about four more hours? That's how much time SaneBox saves their average user every single week. With just a few clicks, SaneBox automatically gets your email under control and makes keeping it that way forever super easy. It also has some sweet features like one-click unsubscribe, which sends annoying emails into the aptly named black hole, and automatic tracking of messages that haven't received replies yet, so you can see what needs following up. See how SaneBox can help you reclaim your time and attention with a free two-week trial. Visit SaneBox.com slash hurry slowly today to start your free trial and get a $25 credit. That's S-A-N-E-B-O-X dot com slash hurry slowly. You know, you talked about the importance of, uh, well, obviously not being able to do any of this without the team that surrounds you, you know, all the people on the boat, people, you know, like your mother who are there cheering you on, but also having... Um, the importance of kind of having announced this publicly. I mean, I feel like that accountability is really important when you're trying to push your limits. Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I know some people that like to keep things very, very uh, tight to their chest before they, they do a swim. Um, they might even not announce it until they're halfway done. But for me, there is some accountability and also just um, just a, a real joy of, of sharing this with people because it is a little bit unusual uh, what I'm doing. And I, um, I feel profoundly transformed from all of this. And I just want people to just feel a little bit of what I get to feel. And, um, and really, again, like I said, hopefully encouraging, inspiring someone to do something they didn't think they could do. So I love... Um, I love sharing this with people and I also do a lot of these swims for a cause, for a charity. So bringing people along um, and you think of them when you go through these, you know, these swims, that swim was 17 hours and 12 minutes, I think. And you go through some patches that are really, really difficult mentally and you have to push through. And the rules of open water swimming are that, you know, some people think, do you sleep on the boat in the middle of the night? No, you are in the water. You cannot touch the boat. You cannot have any physical contact with anyone on the boat. But I could tell you, you know, the boat is 10 yards from you and you're in so much pain. You're cold. 
you're scared and all you have to do to make all of that go away is touch the boat and it's right there. So when you can think of the people that you brought along on the journey and that accountability, right, that people are, um, I have a spot tracker, a GPS tracker that people can follow my swim live from their computer or a phone, um, you, don't, you don't want to disappoint anyone. You know, and you think of them all willing you along and it, um, it's a pretty amazing feeling. Yeah, when I feel like that, that kind of public accountability is just super important for any type of project, whether you're doing, you know, open water swim or, uh, yeah. you know, something maybe less related to confronting sharks. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> I guess. <laughs> but mind you, you know, I was just a guest in their living room, so I was... Um, you know, that's what I think of it. So I feel very lucky that they let me um, go through the middle of the night. Someone said to me, there was some joke going around on Facebook, and it said, you know, if someone came into my household house in the middle of the night wearing just a speedo, I'd probably kill him too. And I just thought that that was <laughs> these are the jokes we have in open water swimming. So there you go. <laughs> nice. Um, you mentioned you know inspiring people, and I think in many ways it's really easy to look at what you've accomplished and be incredibly inspired, but at the same time, maybe not necessarily relate to it in a certain way. So like right now, for instance, for me, my my big risk is like investing all of my time and energy in a podcast and hoping it it succeeds, right? But that's not exactly right. like kind of swimming miles through the dark and you know shark infested water. Um, how do the fears that you confront in the water and kind of the risks that you take there like feed back into, you know, kind of what you do in your working life or in your personal life? Yeah. I mean, first of all, I think like fear is all relative. Like we're all afraid of, of certain things and um, it's not making one fear better or superior than the other. Um, but I think that it has definitely what I um, have done and what I'm still doing um, definitely feeds into my life on land, if you will. Um, it gives you a perspective. Um, you don't, I don't know, I'm not easily bothered by things because I, I, I have truly experienced life um, at that edge. Uh, I almost died on my swim from Northern Ireland to Scotland from jellyfish toxicity and I spent time in a respiratory ward and a cardiac ward. And, um, you know, and also I think just... I walk around with an immense sense of gratitude um, from uh, from having had these experiences and, and also realizing that this wasn't really supposed to be my life um, and, and thinking back on something that was, at the time, the worst possible thing that I thought could ever happen to me with my leg ended up being the best thing. And, you know, and, and so with, with having faced fear and having experienced real primal fear where you are the only human in the water. There's no one else in the water with me. Um, and you're in water that's 6,000 feet deep and there's any, anything could swim underneath you, beside you, or, you know, eat you for a snack. Um, it, it, it does make my life on land a little bit um, difficult at times, to be honest, because I, I feel really drawn to that edge you know, and I look around, even when I drive around the city and you're on the freeway and there's all these signs saying, you know, slow down, curve ahead or bump in the road. And, and when you're out there in the ocean, like it, it, it is so primal. Um, you are, all your senses are heightened um, and it is, it is life at that edge. So um, 
in some ways, I feel like I have a bit of a double life <laughs> because <laughs> I have I have a corporate job. I, I work at Adobe, and, and I love that too because I love the people, and I, you know, I'm in this role where I, I get to to help others, and I have a purpose. Um, so it's a, it's a very full life, but it's um, it's a bit strange, really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, kind of going from like the a conference call to. <laughs> confronting, you know, jellyfish that might kill you. I could see that. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely feel like sort of the calming presence um, because you just, I don't know, in many ways I feel like my, I tell people, I feel like my soul has a few more wrinkles with each of these swims. You just (laughs) feel older Um, and it gives you this perspective where, um, I don't know, you just have have a sense of calm, I guess. Um, when people get upset about certain things or worried about deadlines and it's like, you know, it's not the end of the world sort of thing. Yeah. Well, and I like that. That's a really interesting point, I think, right? Because I think in many ways, something that might sort of prevent you from, you know, going on those big adventures or taking risks would be, you know, anxiety, right? And being sort of worried Mm -hmm. about what will happen. But I kind of like that idea that when you take those risks, when you do those things, you know, when you go for what some people call a stretch goal, right? It's called a stretch right. goal for a reason. You so stretch, but then when you when you snap back, you know, you snap back a little bigger, like a little more expansive, a little maybe yes. less anxious about these kind of smaller concerns um, than yeah. you would have been before. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. You do stretch yourself um, quite literally, and just sort of expanding your mind of, of what's possible. Um, when you when you set yourself a goal and um, it, there's there's nothing more gratifying than working towards something and achieving it you know despite the hard work and you know for a lot of these swims that people don't see what goes on um, behind the scenes to achieve something like that and sometimes it can get really lonely um, when you're going for a goal but it's um, I think it's having that fundamental belief and knowing that um, once you push through that and achieve it, that um, you'll be rewarded, um, but not in the way that you might think you might be rewarded. And how has that happened for you in terms of the not in the way you might have thought? Yeah, I guess I just, um, it, it's made me, uh, well, the rewards have been just um, discovering a sense of self. Um, you know, the rug was pulled out from underneath me um, 10 years ago. And I had always been um, athletic. I'd always, you know, my friends used to call me like Energizer Bunny because I just go, 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 go. And and for two years, my life had stopped and I was completely incapacitated. And so now to be um, a swimmer and to be experiencing this, um, I, I, and and to know that I haven't done this alone, um, I just, I, 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 my heart just feels so full. I I feel um, that I am, um, I, I have all this gratitude in my heart and also that I know that I, I'm achieving things that I didn't think I could do, um, but I also want to just do more of them. I, I, I thought that there would be this sense of this peacefulness, um, but it's, it, it, it was brief, but there is this, it, it, there's this drive where you're just like you keep, you're wanting to keep pushing yourself, which is a little dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> I'm familiar with it to a certain yeah. degree. Um, you said that you thought there would be a feeling of peacefulness when? Yeah. 
Well, I, I mean, when I had completed my Farallon swim, um, you know, after I'd done the Ocean Seven and I'd done the Farallons, um, you know, I wanted to be the first woman because that's I've swum out at those islands many times, and it's just this it's this wonderland of marine life, and it's just um, you know, my my mentor Vito says it's like um, being in heaven and speaking to the devil at the same time. It's um, and so. I thought that, you know, having achieved that, there would be this, um, just this sense of accomplishment, and there is, but then it's just like, well, I, I want to push myself even further, and last year I tried to swim from Sacramento to San Francisco, 93 miles, um, but I, the weather conditions had deteriorated, and I only swam 54 miles, which was still my greatest distance personally. So it was, I didn't see it as a failure. So the coming back to my fear with the Farallons, but yeah, I, I think you just want to keep pushing yourself and, um, and also just you're, you're forever changed. Um, not to say you're any better than anybody else. It's just that you, when you have those experiences, you, Everything else just seems really boring and superficial. <laughs> um, and it doesn't fulfill me. Like, it doesn't fill my soul, if that makes any sense. Yes, I think it does. Um, I mean, to go a little deeper into that, I wanted to talk about that specific swim and kind of, you know, thinking about setbacks. You had mentioned earlier, um, you know, that you had kind of reframed um, your idea of failure, I presume, after that particular yes swim um I mean how did you feel in that moment and then how have you kind of reframed it you know now further further on that was that was last fall I believe yeah so that swim yeah was cut short um I swam 54 miles I'd I'd been swimming non-stop for over 24 hours um but I had I had trained to swim 40 over 40 hours uh so you know, I'd been training ever since my Farallon swim, and um, for three months, I my the bulk of my training included you know swimming every morning before work and after work, and then every Friday night I would swim the equivalent of an English Channel through the night, stay up all day Saturday. Uh, so, I I knew going into that swim um, that I had I could put my hand on my heart and say that I had given it everything. I would have been really. I think upset having been, you know, when I was pulled from the water because the, the, the weather conditions deteriorated. So when the wind picks up, it's, it's impossible to do uh, a swim and it's not safe. So they pulled me onto the boat and I just had a, I was just grinning ear to ear because I knew I had a lot of energy left in the tank. Um, and I knew it was out of my control. And that's the draw for me with doing these swims is you can only control what you can control. And the rest is up, up to mother nature. And, you know, I've been very lucky on all my other swims that the conditions have just sort of come together and, and you know, have, have made me have been able to do those swims. But I, I knew that I had given it everything, and so I didn't see it as a failure. I think I would be very upset with myself if I decided one of those Friday nights that I was going to go, like, you know, out with my friends or something. But I, I didn't. When I lock into a goal, I, you know, there's that discipline. I give it everything. And so I was very, very proud of myself, actually. Um, I didn't see it as a failure, and that was huge for me personally, huge. And how does that change things for you going forward? Uh, yeah, it, it, um, I've been thinking about other goals, and it makes me less afraid of failure. That 
you know, like I said, that was my main concern with my Farallon Islands. It wasn't the risk of a shark attack. And people would think I'm mad for getting, for having more weight on failure than a shark attack. But that was how I was thinking. And now I, I, I see um, failure as growth um, because I was still able to swim longer than I'd ever swum ever before. So seeing it in a, in a positive um, frame and not negative, um, and it's, it's, it's allowed me to think about new goals that I want to pursue and, and, and not be afraid, no, but knowing that I have given it, that I am fully prepared for that goal. So not being um, careless and just going for something, um, but thinking of something bigger. Yeah, when I like this, I mean, I think it's extremely useful to sort of think about what's, as you were saying, out of your control and, and in your control, right? So on that specific swim, when you were swimming from Sacramento to Tiberon, right, the weather picked up and the current got yep. choppy and you just couldn't make, you know, you just couldn't make forward progress, like because mm-hmm. of the weather situation. And it was funny, I was reading, um, as I was preparing for this interview, I was reading about that particular swim and I was actually thinking about I don't know if you're familiar with it. There's this really beautiful photo series by this artist, Ronnie Horn. Oh. Um, and it's called You Are the Weather. Oh. And it's um, all these photos of a woman standing in a pool, oddly enough. Um, and she just has these different facial expressions. It's like, I don't know, 50 photos or something of her with these different facial expressions. Yeah. And I don't know, in a way, like it captures this idea, right? Like, I think it's useful to bear in mind that, you know, not everything is in our control when we're taking risks, like certain things like the weather, you know, wind condition, water conditions literally are out of our control. But then I love the idea of that artwork that in many ways, like you are the weather in your day to day, you know, you always kind of control your attitude and you control like how you frame the ultimate outcome. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I like that. And and it really comes down to controlling what you can control and you can control your frame of mind. And and that is critical when you're going for a goal. Um, You might get a lot of naysayers. I've, I've had more than my fair share. Um, And, and, you know, and not to let those negative voices, um, you know, take over uh, the positive thoughts that you do have and, and the knowing that you are prepared. So yeah, I like that. I have to check out her artwork. Well, I liked one of the quotes from I think one of the talks that that you gave that I that I watched, which was, "If you're not fearful, you're not pushing the limits of who you are." Yes, yes, I, I fundamentally believe that. Yeah, well, and I like this idea of that you you know if you're particularly attuned to a certain fear that you have, that perhaps you should uh, you know walk toward it. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And it's madness, right? Because it is human nature. Like it's part of survival. It's part of our fight or flight that, that, you know, if something seems dangerous, um, in my case, physically dangerous, (laughs) you you should not go, you should not go and, and, and face that. But, um, I, I really have discovered that by just going head on, um, or jumping in feet first into the deep end, um, that's, where I personally thrive. Um, I guess it's not for everybody. What are the criteria that you use for kind of deciding what goals you're going to set? And, you know, what's the point when you're kind of like, oh, this is too risky or not? Like, how do you decide mm-hmm. that? Yeah, I mean, that that's what I am grappling with right now. Um, my next adventure, you know, I'm still sort of, coming up with what that might be but 
first and foremost, I know that it has to speak to my heart. Um, I don't want to just, you know, complete a swim just for the sake of completing it um, because nobody's done it or it's a world record or something like that, um, or even that it's going for a particular cause. First and foremost, it has to it has to speak to my heart and then I feel that everything flows from there um, because then you're filled with purpose. Um, you you know, um, I know all the training, everything has to mean something to me um, moving forward. Um, and it also has to make me uncomfortable. It has to make me scared. And I know that seems like really strange criteria, but uh, I don't want something to be easy. I, I, I want to have to work for it. And um, I, I, I struggle with, um, you know, the, the, the things that I am mulling around in my head, uh, mulling over in my head are, are um, that have pretty significant risks. Um, and they might not necessarily be swimming. So I'm not ready to share them yet. But, um, you know, we're all scared of a few things. And um, I'm definitely scared of, many things. And I want to face those fears. All right. Such a cliffhanger. <laughs> What's it going to be? <laughs> dun, dun, dun. All right. I'm curious. Yeah. 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 It's, um, there's definitely a, a shift going on. Um, but I, I, I'm definitely not done with my swimming. How about that? All right. I'll, I'll stay tuned. One of the reasons that I originally wanted to do this episode is that I love sports metaphors. Because athletic endeavors allow us to see abstract concepts like grit or risk-taking played out in an extremely tangible physical way. You can literally see someone straining against the bounds of what they're capable of and then watch them push through that barrier and come out on the other side. My own sport of choice is rock climbing, And one of the things that I love about it is that I can feel my fears and I can feel the risks that I'm taking and I can feel my strength grow in this very palpable way. It happens quite frequently that I'll do a climb and get stuck somewhere in the middle or near the finish because I just don't seem to be tall enough to reach the next hold. So then I'll go do some other routes and keep climbing for a few more weeks and then I'll come back to it. And lo and behold, when I come back to it, somehow I am taller. And it always surprises me. Like, how did that happen? And we're all taking small risks and making small gains like this in work and in life every single day. But we tend to sort of gloss right over them as we hurry along. We don't take stock of the skills we've gained little by little. That public speaking gig that scared the crap out of you. The raise you had to get yourself pumped up to ask for. The client pitch that, now that you think about it, you kind of nailed. And because we're not attentive to these small risks and the small gains that come from them, we think we're not ready. We think we're not tall enough or strong enough or confident enough. But what if you already are? There's only one way to find out. Next week, I'll be talking with best-selling author and artist Austin Kleon, who you may know from such books as Steal Like an Artist and show your work. Our conversation focuses in on one of my favorite pet topics, digital versus analog. We get into questions like, when is it more productive to be working on your computer versus sitting down with a sketch pad? How writing and drawing can clarify your thinking? And why, ahem, size matters when it comes to mapping out your ideas. 
So be sure to tune in for that next Tuesday. I also have a special announcement slash request related to today's episode. As you know, Kim kind of left us with a cliffhanger at the end of our conversation. And after I stopped recording, she actually revealed her next big crazy challenge to me. And I have to say I was pretty impressed. And the more I thought about it, the more obsessed I became with the idea that she needed to announce her next great mission from the stage at TED next year, or from some other grand stage worthy of her grand ambitions. So if you, dear listener, have a stage or know someone who has a stage that they might like to share with Kim for this announcement next spring, please let her know. You can get in touch with her at kimswims.com. If you dug this episode of Hurry Slowly, I would love it if you left us a review on our iTunes page. Every rating helps us gain more credibility, which helps us gain more listeners, which helps us keep making the show. And now it's time for our final moment of Zen. And last question, what gives you anxiety? Not having a goal. (laughs) (laughs) You and me both. I can't handle it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I can't handle it. I feel uh, anchorless. I feel adrift and, um, yeah, I I, I feel like a cat on a hot tin roof. Um, (laughs) Like you're just just like looking for your next thing and it's, um, that gives me tremendous anxiety. The show was produced by Matt Susich, who kindly took a risk on working with me. Our theme music, Calm Revelation, was created by Devin Craig Johnson. Thanks again for listening, and remember to take your time. <laughs>